0: issue for all women hey there welcome to this week's sunday chops it's mickey bringing you the weekend good stuff and i say good stuff because poet and writer natasha carthew is a total delight but it is also maddening stuff because we're chatting about rural poverty and how well how not many people in power seem to give a fuck about it natasha is cornish and grew up in a small village called downderry and her new memoir, Undercurrent, charts the poverty, nature and resilience that marks her childhood and marks her forever. Amid recollections of her youth and the rock pools, hedgerows, and bays that make Cornwall one of the UK's most beautiful places, Natasha investigates the state of poverty in rural places in general and Cornwall in particular. And that picture is definitively not pretty. It's not Natasha's first time on the podcast. I chatted to her in October 2021 about her brilliant literary festival, the Working Class Writers Festival, or ClassFest as it's known, and that will be back next year, which is very exciting. She is a huge advocate and activist for working class voices. Writing pretty much saved Natasha, and she works hard to ensure it can be the same lighthouse for others. Undercurrent, a Cornish memoir of poverty, nature and resilience, is a glorious roar of a book, published by Coronet and out now. Hello, I'm joined on the Zoom by working class poet and writer Natasha Carthew. Natasha, hello. Hi
1: Mickey, good to talk to you again. Been a long time, I think. Good to have you back on the podcast. It's been like
0: a (laughs) year and a half, I think. Really, wow, yeah. I purposely put the identifier working class in my introduction because it is really key to absolutely everything you do, isn't it? It
1: is, yeah. it's, It's part of my writing and it's part of my activism, I suppose, as uh, artistic director of Class Festival, which hopefully is coming back next year. But yeah, it's it's in my, all my writing. And now with my memoir, it's like
0: upfront and personal. Absolutely. So your new memoir, your first memoir, because I'm hoping there'll be more undercurrent is a Cornish memoir of poverty, nature and resilience. And it mainly focuses on your childhood and adolescence in the 1970s and 1980s. So what made you write it now? For me, I was thinking about
1: all the stories, listening to other people's stories, I suppose, through my work with the festival, and I just thought perhaps my story kind of pertains something to other people as well, especially coming from a rural background. Mm-hmm. It's not been done as much as city kind of memoirs of that kind of you know poverty story, so I thought it'd be a really good take from the rural side so using my story but also meshing it with what happened today, I was really interested to see how things have changed so. Every chapter is divided into different themes, which is, could be to do a transport or to do growing up being gay. And then just looking at what's happened since in those areas where I grew up in the countryside and in the country throughout the UK. And it's, you know, nothing much has changed in many ways. So that was pretty really kind
0: of shocking. Mm, it is really shocking. And you are a romantic, as in you call yourself that in the book. Your writing is richly lyrical and, you know, you're a poet in it but you do not romanticise your childhood. And to be really clear, there is this real tendency to romanticise rural childhoods in particular and rural life in general. But as you put it, you can't kick hunger into touch with a beautiful view.
1: It was really important for me to just, just to show it as it is because nature and, you know, I, I'm often known as a nature writer as well. I wanted to show the, the, the grittiness and the dirtiness Of nature writing it's not beautiful views always it's not always a bird or a tree and that's just right about that for like you know a couple of thousand words I wanted to write about the nature of growing up in poverty and how hard it was and of course you can write it in a beautiful way because I do love words and so poetry is always at the heart of everything I write but it's important to to not gloss over the disadvantage and the hardship which was really kind of where this book is at so as, as whilst I'm writing about yes being brought up in Cornwall and how beautiful it was it was also ugly and you can get beauty out of writing about ugly things and violence and and disadvantage and alcoholism and all the things that we have writ large here in the country that really drove the story I think I wanted to get across the that story and as whilst it can be beautiful in, in areas I also wanted to be honest honest with the readers
0: yeah 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 you really capture like really capture how being poor seeps into our bones now we weren't ever below the poverty line I don't think although my mum and I were just my mum and I we did eat a lot of porridge for tea and I hugely (laughs) related with your memories of how othering it was getting free school dinners but I'm very lucky to enjoy a good life now yet whenever there is a concern about money i am immediately right back there collecting 50ps for the meter scrabbling down the back of the sofa and i always my husband laughs at me but i always have a fiber or a tenant squirrel somewhere weird just in case like somewhere safe just
1: in case yeah absolutely yeah. for the, for armageddon or for just that you know that bottle of milk or loaf of bread in absolutely case. whatever you know we, we just have that in built in us when you've brought up um, to know what things cost, mm. it never goes away. I mean, I'm I'm in a good place financially now, but still, I will. I'm the same. I'll still. I know the meaning of money, and I and, you know the cost of things. You just like, how on earth have we got to this point where things are so ridiculously expensive, uh. and people have to scrabble around for money when it's literally should be your right in this country to be able to afford basic things and food and be able to feed and clothe your children.
0: I mean, it's just it's it's insane that feeling of it being in our bones it's because simply put poverty is trauma right yeah it's trauma
1: and it doesn't go away and so you can quickly as you say you can quickly be thrown back into a a memory of somewhere you've been or, or or some thought you know and it's the word resilience is part of my title because for me it was really important to to have that as a kind of a nugget of hope I suppose because so many times you can read memoirs of poverty or poverty porn as some people like to call it Mm, which I hate just to have that nugget of you know you other people might read this book and think of their own lives and think of how resilience doesn't heal everything and it certainly doesn't get rid of trauma but you know that story of how you can get on and get over and forge through it's really important to me with undercurrent you know because that might help just one or two people to think okay fuck you've done it maybe I can do it you know that's what it's all
0: about absolutely and that recognition that resilience doesn't mean that we're we're made of teflon things don't slide off you they go in you no yeah exactly
1: yeah 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 it's not like oh we're resilient and we'll just you know these things yes they happen but that's fine because I'm fine now none of us are fine anyone is I mean everyone has gone through some level of trauma no matter who they are or how much wealth they had as children or whatever, we all have moments of trauma, and it's important to not have a competition of whose is worse than others because it affects people in different ways, and some of us are more resilient than others, and some people's ex- life experience you know we might look at it think oh wow that's that's nothing, but it's all about resilience you know and and I was very lucky because my mum did teach me to be to absorb the things that went wrong and reflect and then kind of deflect and back out and and also to look at what I had and what I didn't have. Because I think that's really important to remember is sometimes the way you get on in life is because some people are better off than others, some people have a better upbringing or whatever, but it's not looking at that because you're not going to change that as you get older. All you can do
0: is look at what you have and then forge forward with that. Yeah, yeah. There's a line where you say some people are born with a silver spoon, some a plastic spoon and some a coffee stirrer, which is fuck all (laughs) use. And I was like... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Right. Like what you're gonna do with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's one of my
1: favourite lines. Actually, <laughs> it's true because you know people are oh, born plastic store. Well, yeah, some of us have just got those plastic stores that are just useless, you know. And you can watch yeah. you on that. What I'm I'm all about really is is what we can do in the world of writing, the world of publishing as well. What can we do? You know, things are unfair, and will always be unfair, but that's try and fight for the things where we can make a difference. And it's really important for me to make a difference for writers not just younger writers but older writers who are are only reaching, getting to their career now or finding their writing feet now, just to help them push forward really and and, and to give them some kind of hope. There's not a lot of hope, especially for writers, working class writers, but those doors that are closed, you've just got to kind of look for the chinks and the doors that are, you know, and, and try and kick those open, push those open. And if I can help people find the doors and push those doors open, then... That's what I'm doing with the memoir. That's what I'm doing Class Festival um, and the Nature Prize for Working Class Writers that we're back the fourth year this year. I'm um, going to be running and announcing soon. So, yeah, there's a lot going on, but it's, it's all for the positive,
0: I hope. Yeah, definitely. And you just mentioned the word hope, and it really struck me when reading Undercurrent that when you grow up poor, when you grow up in poverty, and I do think there is a slight distinction between the two. I would place myself in one and not in the other. But it's not just a lack of money and a lack of things. It can be a lack of hope, a lack of future. And that is something that you talk about consistently within undercurrent because there's a lack of hope, there's a lack of luck, there's a lack of future. And that colours everything that kids growing up in those situations think they can do, think they can achieve.
1: Yeah, because you're told to kind of stay in your lane. I know a lot of people say this to me anyway. At school, you know, people are told when you can't, Strive for anything other than what what you can accept, or what your your parents or whoever did. I mean, for me, my mum just did cleaning jobs in our village. So you know, because I wasn't that academic, that was kind of like, well, you can just you can do those cleaning jobs, or you can work in a chippy or an ice cream van during the summer season. And I didn't want that. I wanted to be a writer, so I had to kind of keep pushing forward with that. But Social isolation is huge in the country. If you're poor, you don't have the transport. You can't get out in the same way as if you have a car, Uh or your parents have a car. We didn't have a car as a family growing up, so you have to walk. I used to walk ten miles to just meet up with my mates. You know, because my school was ten miles away it's things like that it's it's isolation it's loneliness it's not having a core group of friends who are like you because you know your friends are just a couple of people in the village who are roughly the same age as you because Uh there's only ten of you at that at that age if that so you know it's, it's it's a lot of that so for me those kind of things I wanted to hit in every chapter in the book so that we could talk about what has changed like food poverty what has changed which now uh, you know we could argue is a lot worse mm. so I was I was really kind of finding out things I was going along and learning a lot which w- was really exciting I didn't think that was going to happen setting out right in the book but I didn't want it to be just about me and my memoir and my story I wanted to think right okay this is a real practical book let's dissect let's see what happened to me and let's just dissect all this and see how things are now how tourism has changed in Cornwall and also you know around the UK um second homes which are, is a huge problem here as is, is in a lot of places around the country as well anywhere beautiful you know it's about community that has been often ripped away from any of these beautiful areas around the country because this is what's happened people have been allowed to have second homes they're not being taxed enough the book is about the repercussions of that as well which is really important
0: yeah yeah amid your recollections of your youth you look at the state of poverty in rural places in general in Cornwall in particular And Cornwall, you know, obviously it's where you're from, it's in your bones, but it's also a really good example because it is really suffering with some of the lowest wages and highest property prices in the country, about as many people waiting for social housing as there are holiday homes, which is fucking horrendous. And poverty and a lack of nearby resources, services, decent transport also means that it has more than its fair share of drug and alcohol misuse and, because they tend to go hand in hand... Mental health crises and suicide. This is a situation that is getting worse. What changes do we need to see? sorry out, Natasha. What changes do we need to see?
1: <laughs> um So, yeah, it's it's there's so many things, and it is it is such a mess, isn't it? But I, I think we've had this us and them thing for, in this country for a long time, and we've just become so polarized. And capitalism is a lot to blame. I think with second homes oh, tax. I know in Wales, they're taxing second homes like 300%. Things like that have to happen now in Cornwall. It has to happen in Cumbria, in the East. We need to kind of, those people who, who have the second homes. I mean, a lot of people don't have first homes. So mm-hmm. that's, that's really, you know, with the fact that we're talking about second homes, it just sounds like the most silliest, silliest thing when so many people are homeless. So many people don't have first homes. They don't, they can't. I mean, the rental problem in this country is just, is just, Bizarre, because people have been able to get away with certain things down here during their holiday season. People are kicked out of their homes so that the houses or the flats can be Airbnbs for you know two or three months, and then they let the let the flat back to a local. So it's it's that shouldn't be allowed. The Airbnbs, for example, do need to be regulated mm-hmm. because that's just been allowed to do what they like with rentals. And I think yeah, there's people need to be more empathetic to people who are poor you know because it's not even as you say it's not even a poverty thing anymore it's literally like so many people are just poor because that line that living line has just got so high yeah then you have you know substance abuse and then you have the isolation and you have the depression and you have mental health and it all just circles back around you know so i think we need to just everyone needs to stop i I, I don't know it's kind of like thinking what you have and what you need a lot of people have a lot of things that they don't need and also the things that they spend money on. You know, it's remembering to, to put food in the food bank box as you leave in a supermarket, you know, which we also, I forget all the time. My partners always remembers, But, you know, it's easy to forget these small things. But then if you keep doing them, it takes us some way towards a better place. But until we get rid of the Conservatives, that's, that's not going to happen.
0: Oh, God. It feels like the impossible dream a lot of the time but yes please yeah what's really interesting i think writing about rural poverty because as you said it's it's not covered anywhere near as much as urban poverty but i also think people do have this view of oh but you know they have the seasons when the tourist comes in you know make hay while the sun shines and actually the hay just gets much more expensive for the communities who live there There's a line where you say that in the summer, like the bread goes up because they slap the term artisanal on it and it's (laughs) there for the tourists. And I don't think people realise how much tourism can have a negative effect on a community. It can have a negative
1: effect. I mean, we were told last year before the season to, to buy our water company, Selfless Water, to not use so much water, so there was enough for the tourists when they oh. came down. <laughs> could just stop washing, yeah. you know. It's little things like that. The hospital at uh, Trinis Hospital in Toro becomes completely overrun because people are obviously people get ill while they're on holiday, but also people do stupid things like they just they'll go out to sea on on a, a lilo meant for a swimming pool. And they'll get caught up in a riptide. And then uh-huh. you know, they have to be rescued by the RNLI, which is a charity. Then they have to be brought to the hospitals. Uh, like coastal erosion during lockdown, the first lockdown, people instead of going for nice walks on the coastal path, which everybody does, people started running on the coastal paths and really kind of churning up the earth. You know, it's really dangerous as well because you can fall like a couple of hundred feet. or knock somebody. It's little things like that, you know. So I'm always trying to say to people, Come to Cornwall, have your holidays. You know, it is part of it. It's our second biggest income after agriculture, but it's still obviously very big. But think about where you're visiting. Don't stay in Airbnbs. You know, stay in, stay in maybe holiday parks where the caravans can be five-star. You know, you can stay in some lovely caravans mm-hmm. that aren't meant for tourism. Go to beaches that aren't the same beaches that you just go to every year where everyone just packs in and makes a mess higher things that instead of buying those horrendous surfboard like polystyrene surfboards every year they buy them and then they just leave them up by the bins you know that's a huge problem in Cornwall and I'm sure it is in loads of places coastal holiday destinations you know rent these things so there's small things that people can do No, they can also join like do a little bit of conservation or do a surface against sewage beach clean while they're on a beach just just these small things that can help our Cornish economy, not just the economy, but the beauty of the place, because it's become like such a playground that people just come down and they just, they, they do what they like. It's it's kind of just complete chaos. Learn to reverse in lanes. That would be quite nice as well. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe have a smaller car. You don't always need Range Rovers. And oh, then yeah, they totally. Refuse to re- they can't reverse and they don't want to touch the hedge. I don't know why they have these big off-road cars, because obviously they don't need them. Yeah, it's just the small things because then that that's going to not piss us off so much either because local people, you know, we get pissed off very quickly because this is where we live. You know, it's the same as like going on a beach and getting, you know, the of people get pissed up and their glass bottles get smashed and they leave them at the side of the beach. Or they go to the bays where they, there isn't a bin and they will just leave the rubbish expecting someone to pick it up. We don't have bins all around the coast. Not every bay has a bin. You have to bring your rubbish back with you, you know, and you throw away barbecues. and It's just a little bit more sinking, I
0: think. It would be really helpful for locals. If you took the stuff there, you can bring it back again. It's, oh, it's fury-making. It's maddening. This is a big question because clearly you've written an entire book about it. But what did Cornwall mean to you when you were growing up? Well,
1: to me, I suppose being Cornish as well, so I'm very much about being indigenous to where I'm from. Part um, of a, you know, we're part of a Celtic nation, so it's that sense of otherness, I suppose, compared to England. We're very, we're very separate. But for me, the, the nature of Cornwall was very healing and really helped me kind of an escapism in a way and you know it's easy for I mean it's it's everyone should go into nature wherever you are if you're in the city or you can go into a park or just hug a tree you know you can totally. just find yeah. a little bit of nature to and and take from that but for me growing up it really made me as a writer I think because just the passion of, of the ocean and on a stormy day and that feeling of when you're angry or frustrated or you don't know what's going on in your life because there's, there's a lot of that in my book especially from the younger years you know you don't understand what's going on around you is to get out and and for me the nature of Cornwall, and the ocean was became kind of my confidant in many ways and also kind of like a best friend because it's never let it never let me down and still doesn't you can still go to the ocean and it's always going to be no matter how we mess up the planet the ocean will be there and it will you know and, and for me it's it was it's It's a constant. So growing up in Cornwall, as you know, as a young person, the constant of the waves
0: really, really helped me in working shit out, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't think there's anything that gives me better perspective than staring at the sea. And you have moved back again, so I wondered, what does Cornwall mean to you now as a fully grown up? Um, it's funny because sometimes, yeah, you you know, when you're
1: from somewhere. And you move away, you kind of romanticize about the place, and then when you return, it's a love hate. So I still I have that love hate again, I suppose, because I love it, but there's things about it that I'm like, oh, I get so frustrated, and mm-hmm. you know, and then you you, you kind of think of other places, and but yeah, that's that's what it's about when you're from somewhere, I suppose. But you carry that place with you wherever you're from, you carry it with you, and for me, I always carry Cornwall in the ocean in me wherever I am. But yeah, it's it's, it's it's funny when you move away and you come back you're just like okay
0: <laughs> different set of problems but does it feel like you're a not a, yeah like a teenager again i guess yeah sometimes yeah because when you move away
1: you, you kind of feel different and kind of special i suppose when you're somewhere else in your cornish or wherever you're from you're like oh i'm this person from here when you're back you're like oh i'm just kind of you know <laughs> small, a small fish in a big pond, I guess. Totally, yeah. And it is also funny writing about it and writing this memoir and, and naming the village that I'm from down Derry because so many people now get in contact with me about very specifically about not just being Cornish but coming from that village and knowing what I'm talking about when I talk about the millionaire houses that are being built in amongst each other. I and mean, it's just It's just the ugliest, ugliest village from afar because you just see these massive... Big glass windows but and these the big, big balconies. Big man, yeah, and looking down on the tiny little coastal village that was and the beautiful little cottages and, you know, the council estate where I grew up. But it's all very kind of, you know, as, as Cornwall is very pretty. And then you just have this ugliness. It's like a monster looking down. And that's how I start Undercurrent is about returning and just looking at this village where I grew up and just seeing the size of it now. And half those houses are second homes or they're Airbnbs. And you just say, where's the soul? Where is Where are the people? Because most of the local people, like myself, had to move away from that village because I can't afford to, would never be able to afford like six hundred, seven hundred thousand pounds for a normal size house. Like no. council houses are going for three hundred fifty, four hundred thousand 400,000 ex council houses. So. And that's all over Cornwall. And I'm sure that's over all over the UK in the pockets of beauty. You know, I know Kendall in uh, uh, Cumbria was having the same kind of problems and the Cotswolds, you know, anywhere that's a little bit beautiful has been commandeered by people who only spend two, three weeks a year there. Yeah, that's so sad. Was, that's so yeah. wasteful. So wasteful. You know.
0: So words and writing, it becomes very clear, words, writing, nature are pretty much what saved you. And... Last time we chatted a year and a half ago, you were starting the first ever working class writers' festival, aka Class Fest. It went brilliantly, yeah. it was all very exciting. What's going on with the next one, please?
1: So, the next one is going to be in 2024. Several different reasons. I decided to tour with it because we still had kind of bits of lockdown around the. So, I was being called up to different festivals and, and just curating a panel working plus fighters, so that was brilliant. Like festivals like Ilkley, which was really great. And so mm-hmm. this year I got funding, but it wasn't enough funding. So I thought, well, for me to spend all my time on the festival and, and, and building that pot of money, I needed to kind of do it full time. And with Undercurrent coming out, I didn't think I'd be able to do the two things. Mm-hmm. Because people weren't coming forward with the money, so I knew I would have to keep kicking the doors and keeping, you know walking up and being like, where's the money, where's the money, where's the money? Because mm-hmm. that's what happens in publishing. They're like, you know, the first year, they, they'll give you some money, which is ace, and then they kind of drop off because they've ticked that box and they will go and find another box oh, to tick. Oh, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and it is so frustrating because you're like, you know, every, these things should be long travel. Should they at least be funding for three years from publishing so you can get, you know, Momentum. you get on feet. Momentum. And, and also, this is my, this just drives me completely mad because I'm doing the job for them, essentially, as, a, as an artistic director. I'm doing their job because I'm saying to them, bring me, the, tell me these writers, tell me these books. That's their writing. That's their books. It's, at the end of the day, it's sales for them, it's marketing for them, a festival. It doesn't make any sense for them not to just give, I don't know, 10 grand. Totally, it doesn't, you know what I mean? and if and every publisher gave me five, ten grand whatever then i'll be absolutely fine it's nothing to them so it frustrates me that they go so far in their support and then it's like oh we've done that enough it's like any core of diversity it's absolutely. not a one off you've got to keep doing it you've got to keep doing it you've got to keep doing it or you got to support something like class festival in order to so then we have with them we'll be more established so yeah, it's frustrating, but I'm still banging that drum. And then next year, we're going to we're going to hit hard with it because
0: I'm had more time. Famous last words. An Undercurrent, which is published by Coronet, and I've got to say, the hardback is proper stunning. If you can get your hands on the hardback, it's it's out book, now, yes. and you're going on tour with it. And I guess as well as talking about the contents of Undercurrent, you'll be like Working Class Writers Festival. If you've got yeah, I'm oh kind always of banging that <laughs> drum. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because it it is it's so close to my heart, and it's it's just it's a lovely festival, and the community of people that uh, you know came together in that first year was just was out of this world. We had over um sixty percent people never been to a festival or or a knitting event, so for me that was that was really good because it's all about representation, and for writers or just just an audience to see themselves represented on the stage. And also to give that
0: platform for them writers. So bigger, better, faster, more next year. Because that's the thing. And it, again, feels like the publishers are missing a, a trick. It's not just about the writers. It's about the readers. Like, yeah. get them yeah. involved. Get them engaged. Incredible yeah. work. So yeah. where yeah. can yeah. people follow you, Natasha, to find out what else you're up to? They can find me
1: on Yieldy Twitter or <laughs> at Natasha Carfew and Instagram at Natasha Carfew, official. That's it. Official. I'm new to Instagram. Please excuse. Yeah, but it's yeah official. Make sure someone stole my original name. So yeah, and also at Class Festival, which is where I put any any new news about publishing, or also lots of opportunities for working class writers and working class artists, and just just everyone really. Just it's just a community of. Thousands and thousands of people now at this point who are just sharing information, sharing best practice, I suppose, as well, and saying, "Look, this is a, this is something that's happening, or something for free, something for unref- underrepresented writers." And that's really what it's all about. That's the best thing about doing it is this community that has just grown and has continued to grow, which kind of proves that it's 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 a good
0: thing. Absolutely, Natasha. As ever, a total pleasure to chat with you. Thanks so much for coming on. And to you. Thank you. Brilliant. Great to chat. at issue for all women.